Matt Dwyer. And as I just said that, I got really hungry. So that means this is going to be a super short intro today because I just got like super duper handshaking hungry. Oh, Dwyer. Learn to eat properly. Uh, if you like my theme music, that's by a band called Les Blanks. And you can hear more of their music at lesblanks.com. And the singer there, Josh Caldwell, has another band called Holy Folk, and they just had an album come out, and uh, it's getting a lot of heat, actually, there on the NPR and various other uh, forums in the world of music, and uh, go check that out, find it on radio, RDO, or download it, Um, it's a really fucking super great album, Uh, I think you'll, I think you'll really dig it, Uh, so check that out, please, and uh, today we have a really great, I'm really, you know, I really want, like, I've had some directors on this show uh it's always been uh documentaries and stuff and this time i have you know, i've really wanted to get like a film director who to talk film and all that stuff and because i'm a i'm a big fucking movie nerd and uh, my friend jordan vote roberts just directed this film called the kings of summer which is really fucking awesome it's a stellar cast it's uh it's a really great movie sort of you know if you liked the Stand By Me, you know, it's a coming-of-age story. It's really awesome. Uh, it's still in theaters, uh, so check it out and see it in the theater. Don't do that on-demand stuff. Jordan makes some great points about why we need to actually see movies in the theater. Uh, this is, I think, one of my favorite episodes that I've done in a long, long time. Uh, Jordan's a great guy to talk to, and I'm not going to waste your time anymore. I'm just going to let you listen to Jordan and I banter about. Please enjoy Jordan Vote Roberts. And I just want you to know because you direct films, I immediately assume you're smarter than me. That is absolutely untrue. <laughs> uh, you could not be more uh, mistaken. Then maybe I just bumble around life more. <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty well at that right now. Bumbling so. through life? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I, creative people tend to be bumblers, don't they? I think. I A long time ago, I came to this uh, realization to myself. That I think is just a ju- justification for being an asshole, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was just this idea that like I was just waking up and I was looking at all my friends and all I felt like all of us were just just like oh we're all a bunch of messes right now, and I just like got the sense of being like you know what maybe we should be like we don't know what any of this is this life thing we didn't sign up for it and <laughs> we didn't <laughs> we didn't sign up for this and. We're all like pretty much going head first into it. Like we're going into this crazy ass business in this crazy ass town. And I feel like you should be a mess. If you weren't a mess and bumbling <laughs> through things, then I feel like that's scary. That that weirds me out when people are like, I got my shit totally together right now. I don't think I know one person in the creative world that ha- is like, hey, man, great. Everything's great. I'm great. I'm centered. <laughs> centered, really happy. And if you are, then fuck yourself. Like that. What? Who are you? How did you do that? I don't get it. Yeah, I just, anybody who ever presents itself, I'm like, oh, but the, when you die, horribly dark things are going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> but then you were talking about like the guys you started off with, which is because you're a f- film director right. and among other directing type things. But you 
kind of, I'm not really sure how you, because I was left Chicago, but you were very in with the Chicago comedy scene. Right. And a lot of those who are now very prominent comedians as well, like T.J. Miller and uh, Mike Burns, Bronger. Bronger, Kinane, uh, Kumail, Hannibal. You know, like, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I was not, I never did stand up, but, you know, I was going to school in Chicago at the time and I was like the baby of the group. Like, you know, I, I made a short, um, and then I made a couple shorts, showed it at the Lincoln Lodge. And then I met Mike Bridenstein there that night and Sean Flannery. And then I kind of approached them and they approached me about doing a bunch of shorts together. And, uh, you know, that website Blurreds kind of came out of that, which is what uh, Mashup on Comedy Central sort of turned into. But they were just doing stand-up, and I was just... there was like It was just shocking to me that there was such a pool of talent in Chicago, and they weren't making videos. You know, like, now it's such a no-brainer. If you're doing comedy, you're, of course, making videos. But when I was there, no one... Like, YouTube was just starting, you know? Like, it wasn't it wasn't such a... A to B process of being like, well, if you're going to do comedy, you need to make videos, put them online. They were just, and that's what was great about Chicago. And I think it hopefully still is, which is like, it's, it was just a bunch of people cutting their teeth because they loved comedy. You know, people in LA or New York, generally there's this sense, I think of like, oh, is there like a good manager or like a producer or someone in the audience? Like, you know, are they going to see my stuff? And the people who were doing it in Chicago when I was there, it was just like, oh, we love this craft. And we, we want to be better at it. Yeah. Do you think like when people get here, it gets that love gets watered down a little bit because it does get a little distracting. I think sometimes of like, oh fuck, I should have a TV show. I should have this. And it's like, and you forget why you do it. I don't know if it gets watered down. Um, I think that when everyone left Chicago, because there really was a mass exodus. Like at the same time, basically, me, TJ. Kumail, Jared, um, who else left? Holmes, Kanane and Bronger had already left. Like, there was a big exodus. Some people went to New York and L.A., and I think when people did that, I don't want to say they left for that, but the, I think the reason was like, hey, we've had, we've had our fun in Chicago, and now let's go do something more. It's you really know? hard to stay. I mean, I would. It, I often it, I think. love it there. It's it's great there. Every time <laughs> yeah. you go back, it's you know, and the food's incredible there. And like you just the thing that I think people f- that I forget most. That's the most insane thing to me is just like in L.A. You pass someone on the street, you like avert your eyes. <laughs> you know, you don't say <laughs> hi to them. In Chicago or in the Midwest, you know, I'm from Detroit, and so if you pass someone on the street. You say, hey, what's up? How you doing? No matter what. Doesn't matter what time of the day. And like you just forget what it's like living in a city where everyone's goal isn't to be famous. You know, like Chicago is a place that, yeah, there's a bunch of like scummy comedians there and people are drinking till 4 a.m. and all that. But the majority of the people there have real jobs and families and like have normal <laughs> lives and social skills. So it's it's uh, it's a different world. But it, it's funny. Somebody I can't remember who was saying that the, the comedy scene in Chicago now. I would thought, because I was kind of in a blurred group of generations, but like you're the generation of guys, you, there's a, you, we have generations of drinking really hard. And they're like, oh, now there's shows that don't even start till three in the morning. <laughs> oh my God. And they go till like five, six in the morning performing. I just can't even imagine. I, I don't even know. Honestly, I, 
now that I've been in LA for this long, which you, you sort of realize like at first you come to LA and you're so pissed because you can't drink past two. And in fact, that really means like you can't drink past one thirty in most places. Um, but then you realize this city would destroy itself. If people, <laughs> if people could drink past that legally here, it would be chaos. Like the amount of just darkness embedded in so many people here would just come out in the worst ways. Yeah. Some uh, people still find ways like th- there's a lot of those weird, yeah, I, which I've I've only been to once is like after hour bars because I was like yeah. and I liked it and I was like don't ever. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, in LA they're weird because they all keep weird hours. I've been to a bunch of them and some are cool, some aren't. Um, but that's the thing is like when I go back to New York now, I just I, every time I'm there I just get the sense of like I would die. I would die if I'm here now because. I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. And all my friends are just like, when I'm there, I just have this innate sense of being like, well, I can drink till 4 a.m. So why wouldn't I drink till 4 a.m.? Yeah. And that's just not healthy. I just get, I get, I don't know. In Chicago, I'll just, the next thing you know, it's like, oh, it's four. <laughs> it just, but I kind of, I can't do it repeatedly. Like I'm done for a day. Well, yeah, the only thing that I like about it is, I mean, beyond the freedom of it, just the ability. <laughs> uh, the, the, the thing that I like about it is just the fact that it, it allows your night to just unfold a little more slowly. Whereas here you, you, you get done with work and then, you know, people in New York or Chicago, it's normal to get dinner at like 10 PM here. That's incredibly rare. Uh, people are like, we got it at seven, eight latest, you know, like nine is pushing it. And, and then you have to go out. Like if you're not going out by 11 here, then you're wasting your time. And there, I remember there were nights that it was like normal that I would go out at like leave my apartment at one. You know, yeah. because you had you had that time, <laughs> and it just it allowed you to like just have your night decompress. And I don't I don't take that as self destruction or alcoholism. It's very European. We're just taking our time, <laughs> <laughs> getting you know enjoying it, really drinking it in. Uh, officer, I'm just being European right now. <laughs> so well, now you said you I didn't know that you grew up in Detroit. Like, yeah, did yeah. you grow up in Detroit proper, or did I grew you... up uh, about as close to Detroit proper as you can actually get without being in Detroit itself. Um, so you know, sort of famously, Eight Mile is uh, not only a street and a movie, um, but the reason that movie was called that is because Eight Mile traditionally separates. It's like the good side and the bad side of the tracks, basically, is what it comes down to. It's like the city border of Detroit proper. Uh, and I basically grew up, um, right on nine mile, uh, and the, the, just going from, um, the center of the city, like it goes out in mile road. So, so you were like a mile safe, smile. Yeah. Good neighborhood. <laughs> it was a slow bleed, but yeah, like I, I grew up, uh, it was still a, a sort of weird part of town, but, uh, yeah. Was your like family, like movie or like, or, like, was it movie thing? Like something that you grasp onto at a super young age or was that like, you know, it was, it was weird because, um, I always loved movies and I just, I have so many fond memories. I loved going to the theater and I loved, I loved going, I loved going to the video store, which is something that's totally lost now. You know, like getting a a movie on Netflix is not the same thing as like walking to a blockbuster and trying to just like rent a movie and to have that movie be totally checked out and then be like, fuck, (laughs) what what am I going to, what am I going to watch now? You know, like I love that discovery process and, um, and then I just got more and more. I loved learning about movies and different directors and things like that. But growing up in Michigan, it seemed like even though my parents were very supportive of whatever I wanted to do, growing up in Michigan, it seemed like it was an impossibility. 
you know, like you don't think about, for me at least, the idea of being like, oh yeah, I'll go to Hollywood and do this stuff. It was like, well, that's clearly not going to happen, you know? Um, and then I was always making stop motion movies with my action figures in my basement and weird things like that, but I just kind of dropped it. And then when I went to college, I literally, I did not plan on going to film school, but I just got to this point where I was like, I don't know, I can't decide what I want to do. Like I, I couldn't figure out if I wanted to get into like history or sociology or psychology or whatever. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let me just try this film thing and see if I can just synthesize all of those interests into one. And let me, let me like give this a shot. Um, but it was never like a growing up. I loved movies. I loved everything about them. I loved just like being transported to these places. Um, and I, I loved just going to the theater with my dad and stuff, but it, it, it never, it was never like a no brainer. Like I wasn't that kid who from like six on that was like, I'm going to be a director. I'm going to be a director. Cause I literally didn't think I could. It seemed, it just seemed impossible. Did you have like a weird taste? Cause I, when I was a kid, like my parents asked me what I wanted to see for my birthday and I was like apocalypse now. And they were like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I didn't give a fuck about like ETE and those movies. I was like, yeah. I wanted to see midnight express. I, I had really weird taste sometimes where they would ask me to what movies I wanted to see. One of the weirder ones is I think there's a Christian Slater movie called cuffs. Is that oh, right? I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just remember, like, all the time asking them to take me to these weird movies that, like, are definitely not kids' <laughs> movies. And they were like, all right, if you want to fucking see this, let's let's do it. Um, and they were generally... My mom, growing up, had a bunch of weird rules where I wasn't allowed to watch really violent things or really, um, like, horrific things, uh, which is, I guess, relatively normal. But, um, like, I wasn't allowed to watch, like, Terminator or RoboCop or movies like that for a long for time. Anything with Pauly Shore. Any, well, no, Pauly Shore was allowed. Um, That's pretty horrifying. <laughs> that, that is the definition of horrific. But in retrospect, it was actually an interesting thing because I would just hear kids like on the playground. I would have them like describe to me the stuff in Terminator or RoboCop or Friday the 13th or whatever. And that, like, yeah, Terminator and Terminator 2 still hold up. RoboCop has some awesome stuff in it, but like most of those shitty horror movies like are not that great. But hearing people talk about them especially when you're a kid, makes them sound way more interesting. And so that's just like my imagination would just run wild with like not being able to see them and see that they're like, it's like, ah, oh, this movie's kind of cheesy or whatever. But just to hear like kids talk about the way they affected them, Terminator, RoboCop, you know, Freddy Krueger, whatever, that was actually really cool in retrospect because my brain for five years just ran wild with what I thought it was. And then when I would go and watch those movies, I was like, what? This? This was supposed to be scary? Not that cool. Yeah, I recall watching, uh, fuck, oh, Salem's Lot, like re-renting right. it and being like, oh, man, this scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like two minutes into it, I was like, this is awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember Poltergeist scared the shit out of me as a kid. And there's still some relatively scary stuff in that movie. But there's also some goofy stuff in that movie. Like, and I forgot, like, the parents are just huge stoners in that movie. And there's just a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. I wonder if, like, a lot of that stuff, if they would make parents stoners. It seems like, does it seem to you that, like, a lot of mainstream films seem a little bit more safer than they oh, used to be? I, I think that everything is super safe these days. I, um, you know, and, and you just talked about not wanting to see uh, E.T. and stuff like that. And, you know, the, my movie. It's interesting because it's getting all of these comparisons to sort of 
Amblin-esque movies, Goonies, and things like Stand By Me, which uh, were very influential to me and uh, reference points to me as I was making this movie. But what I think is interesting is like, uh, I've been out here for so long in this industry trying to make movies and uh, so many executives for so long have been like, oh, we want to find like a new Goonies. We want to find a new, uh, you know, and they just reference those old like Amblin movies. And I don't think you can make those movies anymore. Like, because movies have become more and more disposable. And it's like, when you go back and you look at Goonies, for example, first of all, Sloth is a weird ass character. And him and Chunk have a very strange relationship. Um, but also, like, the Fratellis are trying to kill those kids, like, kill them, <laughs> murder those children. <laughs> and people forget about stuff like that. And, like, even when you go and you watch. You know, there's really intense stuff in Stand By Me, and there's even in even in ET, there's like some really fucked up stuff going on, like about divorce and a lot of other weird things. And um, I just think that look, I think this is a perfect example, and I use this a lot. So if anyone's ever listened to an interview of me in the last two months, they've probably heard this. But like, um, I think a perfect example is how rom com is a dirty word these days. Right, like that's just some shitty, like misogynistic Catherine Heigl movie at this point. <laughs> like, but it's true. But uh, but Annie Hall is a rom com, you know, and that's a fucking incredible textured movie that's really inventive, does a lot of weird shit, plays with tone, is hilarious and heartbreaking and heartwarming. Like you know, and I just think that comedy in general over the last twenty, thirty years has just been put in such a small little boring box and even making my movie there was like i had to fight so hard and so frequently because they were like well you know i mean you saw like it's a it's it's a tricky tone it's a weird tone to a movie and they're like well what is the tone of this like before i made it and they're like i think it's the whole spectrum that's life life is absurd life is like highs and lows in the course of 30 seconds like you know (laughs) life is not like an easily defined tone and they're like well but you got to choose one it's like why why do you like why do you have to choose one? Like look at all these great movies that play with tone and are more powerful because of it. And uh people are just afraid. People are like afraid to make movies like that. Yeah, it, it, I, there's not a lot of films like your movie being made these days and that get a lot of att- I would say your film got a really good amount of attention and it's a very great film so it deserves that. But it's like it's it's really weird because those are the like the film like yours, which is the Kings of Summer. Right. Just so people have a point of reference, even yes. though I've mentioned it in the intro. <laughs> but I, but it's like those are the kind of movies I've always been attracted to. And it's like right. it's, but you don't see it any a lot of it anymore, and it's really disturbing to me. Well, I I just think I don't think people want to take risks anymore because also if you go back and you watch. <sighs> When you go back and you watch most movies from the 70s or 80s, I can almost guarantee you that if you pick a random movie off the shelf, even something good that you love, there's probably at least one scene in those movies that's, like, weird, that, like, feels a little tonally different because they just used to play around. Like, there'd be wacky shit or weird stuff or, or like, something really dark in the middle of these movies, and they they were just more willing to play around, I think, and... um and be inventive. And these days, the risk reward is just so high on, on, on making movies. And also, I think that, you know, Steven Soderbergh just had this big talk about what he identified to be problems with uh, the film industry. And 
the main one of the one of his points, and this is the one that like resonates most with me, which is just there aren't a lot of executives and studio heads and people making the decisions on what movies that are being made who actually have a love of cinema, who are here because they love film history and they love old films and they understand like the language of film. Like I feel like to really be making films, this is just me, but like, I feel like to be making films right now, why wouldn't you want to understand the different eras and the different movements and the different styles of film and where we came from to better inform you on what you're doing now? And there are just a lot of people who are like deciding what movies get made who literally have no idea who like have never seen classic films, who have never seen weird foreign films, who have never, you know, who like just don't have that like pure visceral love of being like, I love movies and here's why. You know, you ask them like who their favorite actress is and they're going to name of all time and like guaranteeably they'll name someone from the last 15 years. You know what I mean? Um, and that's a problem. And I think that, <laughs> I, I think that that's a problem because it, it makes them less willing to want to take those risks because they have less information and less insight on like, Hey, this is okay. Like other movies have done this and done this very, very successfully. Yeah. Do you think that that climate sort of crushes potential film auteurs? I love that word. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, it's like, I mean, guys like PT Anderson, he had a hard, he had an almost impossible time getting the master made. And yeah, but to be fair, that is a weird fucking movie, you know, (laughs) like, you know, and, and also like, even for myself, like good, good on him that he got that movie made for that much money. But I think they made that movie for, I want to say 40 million or something. And yeah, look, if I just fiscally speaking, you take a step back and it's like, you could have made that money for less and had it been a slightly more responsible movie and it ended up with the same result. He could have done it digitally. He could have done it digitally, man. Well, he did. I mean, he did it. I forget what he shot it on, but it was like, he shot it on. Yeah. It was like, uh, <laughs> it was like something no one shoots on. Yeah. It was, I don't, he didn't shoot IMAX exactly, but it was a larger format. I think for sure. I actually never looked into what exactly he did, but I know they were projecting it in larger formats, but yeah, there was a lot of things like that, but, uh, I don't, I don't think it's squashing creativity. I think that the good stuff will always rise to the top. And like, in theory, you'll always find um, an avenue to get something made. And if anything, I think that we're now reinforcing this idea, like in Hollywood is starting to realize again, like, Oh, right. If you hire a real filmmaker to do something, you'll get a real filmmaker result. (laughs) If you hire like a dumb hired gun, who's just there as a, as a traffic cop, basically, <laughs> then, then you're going to get the result of a traffic cop. And um, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I have no ground floor, floor perspective on what things were truly like in the 70s or 80s, you know, getting movies made. Um, obviously, you look at the, the output in that period versus the output now, and, uh, like, we're still making good movies, but it's certainly less... So I, I don't, I don't really know if it's squashing things necessarily. It's hard, but I mean, this is a hard business in general. Like if you don't, if you don't want it, then I don't think you should be, here. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you just, you, you kind of have to put up. And like, for me, I'm genuinely curious now too, because I just got done making an indie feature that was hard as hell and took 
basically two and a half years of my life. And it was fine because I loved it. And I loved what it was and I loved what I thought it could be. And someone recently described it to me in like the most basic terms where they're like, oh, well, don't worry, that was your hazing. Like you just got hazed. And I was like, okay, well, that sucked. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could have not done that, but I get it. And if, if uh, I'm curious moving forward now, like uh, the, the things being presented to me, the options that I have, the, the path forward now is like a very, it's a totally different landscape than where I was before. All these doors have been kicked open, which is great and cool. But, you know, let's talk in six months and I'll let you know whether <laughs> whether that actually means anything or whether it's going to be the same bullshit over and over and over again. Yeah. I don't know. It's like uh, my friend Colin Trevorrow directed. Right. Uh, you know Colin? Yeah, I know Colin. Yeah. And now he's doing Jurassic Park. What is it? Jurassic Park 15? <laughs> How do you know Colin? Uh, we worked on an independent film together. Oh, fuck. A long time ago. <laughs> I want to say like 11 years ago, he was wow. co-writer and it was like we spent uh, the summer in Milwaukee and uh, a sure. few weeks in Madison and he and I became really, it was like, I never saw the film. I hear it didn't turn out so well. He didn't, he didn't direct it. He uh, just, and the script and stuff was really cool. It was just like mm-hmm. one of those, you don't have a lot of money, right, right, things right. get out of your hands, I guess. But, uh, as, it, as they do, <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of the best like summers of my life. Cause we were all like put up in these dorms and right. like my roommate and I like made some bookshelves into like a fully stocked bar. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the most professionally acting. As, I've, as you do. But uh, we, yeah, but that's the best part about it. It's like, I don't like making our movie was we were in Ohio. We were all staying. We were literally all staying in a retirement community because that was the cheapest option. Among the elderly? Among the, among the elderly. Like, <laughs> legitimately, like, our neighbors were... One of, you know, we had a bunch of kids in the movie. And, um, like, the second day there, one of the kids, there was, like, a lever. There's, like, little pull strings in the bathroom. Like, if you fall, pull this, and someone will come and assist you. And th- they were a bunch of teenagers, so they didn't know what it was. So they pulled them, and they all woke up the next morning with these elderly people in the apartment being like, are you okay? And they're like, what's going on right now? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, but that, the best part about it was like, yeah, it was a hard fucking thing. And it was draining and exhausting. And I literally worked the hardest I've ever worked every single day for like four months. But it was the best experience, you know, like just the, and like, if anything, I have a hard time. <laughs> it, I have a hard time relating to people now who weren't there. Like, cause it, it is this thing where you're like, you're in the trenches and you feel like you're like going through war and you experience some, you saw some shit together. <laughs> yeah. So. It is from the few of those type of situations I've been in. It is. It's like, and then I feel like linked to those people for the rest of my life. Like, it's right. not like you see, we see one another after 10 years. It's like, ah, totally. Like it's yeah. And how was like, cause you, you done, uh, successful alcoholics is how, how long is that? That's, that's like 25 minutes. 25 minutes. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's pretty good. But had you done anything that long prior to that? Prior to the successful alcoholics? Yeah. No, making, so successful alcoholics is a short, uh, that premiered at Sundance a couple of years ago and also did very well. Yeah. That, that did well for everyone. Uh, but that was a weird thing where, you know, I just, I've been making web shorts. I've been making these little, uh, just little viral video type things. And they were all like, you know, 
a minute to three minutes long. And I came out here because I love movies and I want to make movies. And I knew eventually I wanted to make movies. And Successful Alcoholics was kind of like the beginning of the process of making a statement to say like, hey, look, I can invest people in character and story and also play with tone and all of that. And, um, you know, because it's a hard thing winning your first feature. It's like the uh, deck is just incredibly stacked against you and there's so many things that have to go right. So that was the first long form thing that I did specifically with the intent of kind of showing like, Hey, look, they can make things that aren't just on YouTube. <laughs> so we'll see. was it, was it a battle to get, to get Kings of summer? I mean, cause you said it's like everything's stacked up against you. I mean, it- yeah, I mean, it was, it was not only a battle to win it, you know, winning that job was a process of, um, the script got sent to me, uh, this company named big beach, they did Little Miss Sunshine and Safety Not Guaranteed, Collins movie, and uh, a bunch of other movies that are great. They had this script, and I read it, and I just loved it. I honestly thought it was a joke. I thought someone was like, I thought my, I was like, I'm kind of upset at my agents and managers at the time. I was like, why are you sending me this script when someone's clearly already attached to this? And they're like, no, there's no other, there, a director's not on it. And I'd been looking to make my first feature for a while, and um, I've been getting scripts that like, you, getting these scripts that like I wasn't loving and they weren't really real and they were all things I was like yeah maybe I could do this maybe I could make this good and I honestly was starting to like go through this process in my mind of being like well if I don't if I don't find something soon I guess I'm just gonna have to go and like you know and this is before Kickstarter and all of this like I guess I'm just gonna have to go and like shoot a little like hundred thousand dollar indie or something like that and the script came to me and I just fell in love. Like I just had this visceral reaction to it where it wasn't like I want to do this or I can do this. I had this reaction of like, I need to do this movie. And it just started this process of me saying, if I lose this job to someone else, I want to be able to sleep at night. I want to know someone else beat me based on merit. You know what I mean? That like someone else was better for this job. And I put together this like crazy like 30 page book, just like detailing everything about the movie and what I thought it needed to be and how you could fix some script issues and how you balance the tone and casting thoughts and just visual references and shot all these videos just because like I said, I wanted like, I just wanted to be able to sleep if I lost this movie. (laughs) Um, Because yeah, I didn't know when something else like that that was going to come around. But even after I won it, which was like this huge just this surreal and incredible moment in your life where they call and they say, Hey, you got the job. Even after we won it, it was still a huge uphill battle to even like get everyone to pull the trigger on being like, cause the same things of like, well, it's got a weird tone or, um, it's about kids, but it's for adults. Like, you know, there's still all these things. It's like everyone loved the script. Everyone loved the vision of what we were trying to do, but to really like push people off that, that ledge and say, yeah, let's fucking do this is tough, you know? And it's, it uh it's not an it's it's weird because it's not a no-brainer of a movie it's not it's it's a totally execution dependent movie and we, we would just we would have these like hilarious conversations there in retrospect which is me being like really ballsy because they'd be like well who's this for who's this audience who's this movie for and i was like look it's for everyone like on paper stand by me is for no one it doesn't fit into like the four quadrant system of how Hollywood builds movies. Like, is it for older females, older men, younger females, younger men? Like, that's how they break movies down. Stand By Me doesn't fall into any of those. It's for everyone based on execution. And then they would just turn back to me and the writer and be like, yeah, well, you're not Rob Reiner and you're not Stephen King, you know, (laughs) which is legit. Or they'd be like, 
uh, how are you going to balance the tone? And I would just talk about something like Up, because I think Up is a perfect movie because of the way it slaloms between these like dark moments of loss and aging and loneliness and then these like super slapstick family friendly moments. And I was like, you can, you can ride that line. You can balance them and it can be everything. It doesn't have to, like you can have moments in this movie that are as ridiculous as and broad as super bad. And then you can have stuff that's like really emotionally engaging and heartfelt and kind of dark about what it is to be that age. And then they'd be like, well, You've never made a movie before, and you're not Pixar, you know? And it's like, ah, Why are they going to be dicks like that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, that's being dicks. Everyone's a dick, so... <laughs> everyone's a dick. But, yeah, it was like... It was a super difficult thing to get made at the end of the day. Um, and somehow... It just... It just happened. It's so... It's so weird, <laughs> honestly. And now, like, now... Because it must be such a mixed emotion a little bit i would think like you finish your first feature right. it's got to be like i'm fucking king of the world not to quote that dick i didn't mean to quote the dick <laughs> i didn't mean to call him a dick either <laughs> he's very powerful <laughs> very powerful uh and and by that i meant uh, from the 40s movie uh <laughs> I, I wasn't quoting the director i now i can't even think of the act who's the actor that he stole that from Oh, um, fucking... James Cagney. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. calling James Cagney a dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but then it must be also like, oh, fuck, right? Like, oh, fuck, like, now I gotta do it again, or... Oh, yeah, I mean, that's... Well, that's the thing, is you exit this fucking haze of, like, when I wrapped the movie, I really was in this haze of just, like, I felt like I was in... You know, me and a buddy, we literally couldn't deal like, when we got done with the film, I remember going back to my grandma's house and going to a dinner. And this this puts things in a weird context and really, like, <laughs> trivializes something that's way more intense than this. But I felt like I had just gotten back from war, which is like, and I, I was just, like, eating food with like, my <laughs> grandma and my mother on both sides of the table. And I just remember, like, staring at my plate and just like shoveling food into my <laughs> mouth because I, I didn't know how to like cope. I didn't know how to deal with it. And so literally me and uh, the second unit DP of the movie, we were both like losing our minds. And with like two days notice, we both bought tickets to Japan and just like took off and no guidebook, no plans, no nothing just to go to what we, we literally just up and left to go to a place where it was going to take every ounce of our energy to figure out what the fuck was going on, you know? So we couldn't like think about what just happened. So it was like sort of brainwashing or whitewashing ourselves and just like trying to take in this like other culture as opposed to like reflecting on what just happened, uh, which was amazing. But yeah, now there's this element of like, it's amazing. I like, this is literally the dream come true of why I'm out here, what I wanted to do. But then there's this thing of like, Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> got to do it again and you know and and so like honestly i'm i'm taking time right now and trying to fucking decompress from it all and like because it also it's also been a whirlwind you know it's like we shot almost exactly a year ago i went directly into post then we went to sundance then we sold it and now we're releasing it and all those things were like back to back to back to back to back and i don't think i've even had time for myself to like properly sit down and like really you know i've just been like jumping out of a moving car and trying to hit the ground running. And I, I really do feel like I just need to like sit down and really truly like process intrinsically like 
what just happened? (laughs) Maybe you should eat some mushrooms, bro. I I, (laughs) see you joke about that, but that's like, I was just talking to a friend the other day. We have some in our freezer. (laughs) (laughs) There's some acid in this house right now. So, uh, there, uh, I was like, I feel like I need to do some mushrooms or some acid right now just to either have a great trip or a bad trip. Cause either way, I think that would be a helpful thing right now. So <laughs> that's like my outlook on those drugs. I really respect, respect your approach to life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you make wise choices. <laughs> now, are you looking, do you know, like what, do you have any idea? Like, do you want to like do something bigger budget? Do you want to stay in this vein? Like do you, or are you just seeing what comes? Um, I want to sleep for a month <laughs> <laughs> and, I know that I want to go make movies. Like when I first wrapped the movie and I was like, Phew, that was the hardest, most intense, insane, most rewarding thing I've ever done. You know, like it really was that dichotomy of like, that was fucking tough, but the, my favorite thing I've ever done in my life. And it's like, you know, do you, someone asked me like, right when I finished it, so you want to make more, right? And I was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like that's just, <laughs> it's just like what, what a high it was. Um, so I want to sleep, relax for a little bit, and then all I know is like I, I'm not going to go make a uh, big dumb studio comedy. Like I, 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 I would rather keep pushing. You know, the things in my movie that I think people were like unexpected things that people responded to were the things that's like, oh, this feels like a film, and this feels cinematic, and this has scope to it, and it plays with tone, and um, and I just want to keep pushing those elements. Um, I, I think that I want to kind of go and I want to find like a, like a three Kings or something like that, that like is very stylized. You know, like that's a war movie first and foremost, but it's super funny because it's grounded in characters, but like it's, it's a world. Like I just, I love world creation. So I do want to find something much bigger. Um, and whether it's a jump like Colin made, you know, if, if it was the right circumstance and something, the most important thing is like, you, I'm just realizing and I, the main thing that I'm really holding myself to, there's like two things. Because with, with this job, like I said, when I was pitching on it, I had this like reaction of like, I need to do this. And if I lose this, I'm going to be pissed. So I better win it. And so the two things, like my two like barometers right now are like, if I lost this job to someone else, would I be pissed? And also, do I love this? Because this took two and a half years of my life. So if I'm going to go jump onto something like Jurassic Park 4 or whatever some big thing like that it's just got like you know colin loves jurassic park it's so important to him so he has every every part of his being is invested in making that good again and hopefully he can do it but i know he has a visceral like to him that's not even about you know this like star fucking thing of like going and being like i'm doing a hundred million dollar movie after doing a, like a, a movie that costs less than one million dollars, for him there's like a real love and passion there. He's and, a movie nut. Right. Like, he's nuttier than most people. Right. And so for me, <laughs> like if I'm gonna even consider something like that, it's the same thing. Where it's like you better love it. Like you, you gotta. Whatever I do next, like it's crazy to think like these things that like minimum are going to make, yeah, maybe you can find something that will take you a year, but more often than not, you're talking a year and a half minimum of your life, potentially up to like two and a half or three years. And that's a huge investment. It's a huge investment to sign on to something. Imagine if like when you started like, 
if you're like wor- working on a bit or something like that, and they're like, this next bit is going to take you three years to figure out, and you're not going to be able to think of, think of anything else while you're fucking working on this. So that's crazy. Yeah. That's, uh, would you ever consider doing something like a Spider-Man? Only Spider-Man. That's the only choice you get. <laughs> something like a Spider-Man. A Spider-Man. Not even the Spider-Man, a Spider-Man. It's a different guy who gets infected. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would totally consider something like that. But that would have to be something where like, I would have to love the character and think you could actually do something really cool with it. Yeah, because when you were saying, like, too, like, it, 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 with, like Three Kings and your film, it, was like, there, it doesn't seem... Sometimes I feel like I watch a bigger film these days, I'm like, you totally forgot about the characters. Oh, yeah. I just saw Man of Steel, and I was so excited about it, and they tried really hard to, like, work in characters and shit there, and then it's just inevitably you get to, like, a third act, and you're like, I don't care what's going on right now. How's Michael don't Shannon? care. He's good. He's not, <laughs> he's not as awesome as I wanted him to be, because he's such a badass, and he regularly just steals every scene he's in in every other movie. And he's good. He's not... As great as I thought it was going to be, though. But yeah, like you just, you watch these movies and you're like, why Why am I supposed to care right now? Why? Like, what am I supposed to be invested in right now? But yeah, I, I would definitely, and in fact, like I'm getting offered weird shit like that. Um, so if, if it was right and it was something, that, as long as there wasn't like a quality ceiling to it and it was something that I had real passion for, I would consider something like that. We'll see. What do you, what do you think about like with all the, because I uh, was Eisner's got that whole company now where he's like making hundred thousand dollar films solely for the internet and stuff. Right. Do you think that is going to be a positive thing in the long run, or is that, or is that just? I think is that a terrible question. Uh, I, <laughs> these are all terrible questions. <laughs> I need to get back to a Spiderman. <laughs> um, I look. I think that at the end of the day, it's nothing but good that we have access to shit, right? Like you can, people literally now can make things that I did not have access to when I started as a filmmaker. And with the internet, you can distribute stuff super easily. You can make things way cheaper, but I, I, and I love the freedom and the options that that opens up. But I do, I, I have this like weird, my whole thing right now and what I'm realizing is like the reason that I fell in love with movies is because, yeah, I love discovering things on my TV and renting videos and stuff like that. But like the theater experience is just fucking unbeatable. And it's so difficult to get people out to the theater these days. And that sucks. Like, and it's like, it's fucking crazy to think that like, it's one of the only experiences in your life beyond getting on a plane where you're told, like, don't look at your phone for two hours. Dude, do you realize how insane that is? That, like, yeah. that's literally, like, you go to dinner, you can check your phone. You go to a sports game, you can check your phone. You're in your car, you check your phone. Like, you're in a meeting, you can check your phone, and it's okay. Movies are literally, like, one of the only experiences in your life right now where that's, like, a no-no. And that's crazy. Uh, and I just think it's getting harder and harder to engage people in, like, cinematic experiences. And so, like, whatever I do next, I would like to... I think that part of like Hollywood not getting put out of business by like talking oranges on YouTube and you know uh, <laughs> shit like that is going to be actually making content that like engages people again and like when they leave the theater and they're like oh right going to the theater isn't annoying you know like I know that costs a lot of money and I deal with a bunch of little, little like teenage pricks and like uh, X Y and Z it was annoying because of this but the the basic core and conceit of being like 
go into this dark space with a bunch of strangers and we're all experiencing this thing together on a giant screen. To me, that's why I make movies. And that's why, or why I wanted to make movies. Because to me, that's like, it's an incredibly powerful thing that is just being lost. And so I'm all for stuff like that. I'm all for the scrappiness. And like, you know, I come from the web. Like, that's like the world that I cut my teeth on. And if it, we're going to start seeing more in the same way there was like a boom of directors, you know, 15 years ago of guys who like cut their teeth in music videos you know, we're going to see a wave of guys now coming out that were like, we're cutting their teeth, making web stuff. Um, and so it's weird for me to like turn my back on that. Cause like the, the internet's the wild west and like an incredible, it's the internet will be, will go down in history. As far as I'm concerned, it's like a more powerful invention than modern medicine. Like we, we built the collective unconscious is what we did. Like we, we built that into a thing where you can just access anything. And that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> And the fact that it's mainly used for porn is like pretty accurate. I feel like pretty representative of people. Um, but yeah, so look, I'm all for that indie shit, uh, and I think it's great, and I think it's cool. People have access to that, but like the 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 battle that I want to be involved in is like making things that are big and remind people of like why the theater is great. It's interesting because you said you that maybe Hollywood would go back to rethinking and making more engaging films because I feel like that that's why there's so many 3D like all these like it's just getting bigger and like even like I haven't seen the Transformer films but I heard there's like no story and that they've even like labeled them as what was it chaos cinema <laughs> and I was like oh you're just giving a name to stuff with no structure <laughs> uh, yeah basically after like the, the second act of the first Transformers movie none of the other. Uh, <laughs> movies have plots um <laughs> is it, it's just bright and shiny right it's just bright and shiny i actually really like the third one uh i'm a big michael bay apologist in general i think that he's uh god he's just such a bizarre man uh i love it I love, he's like a fetishist and I, I i think that people will look back much more kindly on michael bay because they're like oh this guy just cared about cars and guns and women and, and explosions and that's what he did. He just put it on camera. And I, lo I love the earnestness of that guy. It's just like, it's because it's pure. It's just that's what he cares about. And he, he knows how to shoot it. And it's great. But uh, uh, chaos cinema, that's a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> also, there's this really weird trend. You know, my, my movies are rated, which is really fucking weird to think about. I did, when I, in retrospect, it doesn't. It doesn't I feel already. Kids just say fuck more than once. And if you say fuck more than once. In an, in more a, than once? Yeah, that's that's all, it? You get one non-sexual fuck <coughs> according to the NPAA, which is crazy. Uh, and that's the rule. But I've also been watching all these movies like uh, Superman did, did this. The Star Trek did this. G.I. Joe 2 did this. I watch really big, dumb movies. <laughs> um, but all these movies literally on screen, they're all PG-13 and they murder like millions of people in front of your eyes. <laughs> and it's just funny. Like there's this weird trend where like all this death is happening around you, but there's no like real consequence or weight to it. And that like, at least in transformers, the death is like relatively, uh, contained to like these main characters. Uh, and there is not a lot of like civilian casualties in these movies. There's like this, like I'm watching these PG 13 movies where literally a million people die, a million people. And they're PG-13. And then I have a movie that, like, kids say fuck. <laughs> and it's PG-13. It's, it's R. It's crazy. Yeah. The, the MPAA really freaks me out. Because it is, it's like, that's like a weird fucked up rule. Well, it's a censorship board. It's a censorship board. Uh, you know, and I, so I just went through the process of, this is the first time I ever did this, honestly, of, like, you submit your film to them. 
and then they tell you what it's rated, but then they don't give you back a printout or like suggestions of things that you would have to change to get a different rating because that would be censorship. What they do is you have to have a convert. You would get on the phone and you have a conversation with this person and you're like, well, what about this? What about this? What shots bugged you? And so you have this like very weird, informal, bizarre conversation with like some like 70 year old woman (laughs) about how in theory, without them being a censorship board, you could change your film to achieve a different rating. It's super weird. I mean, technically, couldn't studios go? Yeah, we don't need stuff. No, yeah, we don't need them at all. We, Why do they abide by this? Uh, a part of it, it's not just studios, though. A lot of it's like theater chains, too. Um, you know, like theater chains won't, it's not even like the MPA, like theater chains won't show uh, NC 17 movie most of the time. Um, it's just this weird, like Puritan leftover bullshit, you know, like it's, it's so weird. Yeah. It's totally unnecessary. And, uh, it's so fucking backwards. You should watch. There's a great documentary called this film is not yet. Oh, I've rated. seen that crazy. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally insane. Uh, it's, I don't know. I've, one of my producers was like, I don't think the MPA is going to exist in 10 years. And I, I don't, I just, I can't imagine how we would get rid of it. But yeah, in in theory, studios could just be like, yeah, we're not going to do this. If we, the studios have a lot of money. We could find out, (laughs) we could have those people assassinated. We can intimidate them. Go back to old Hollywood ways. When they would kill people, they would protect murderers. (laughs) I, I also, (laughs) I was just reading about like all of the, uh, like the weird assassinations and murders that are just on record that like, coca-cola as a company would do in like south america i interviewed the lawyer who uh sued them really (laughs) yes or like the fucking chiquita banana stuff like just ruthless shit going on for like coke and bananas down in south america where it's just like yeah we got to kill these people and that's just like a known thing yeah there's a documentary called the coca-cola case that's all about it and then that's how i found the guy to interview him and he what was that interview like uh, we talked about a lot of other stuff besides the Coca-Cola because the documentary existed. Right. And he's like, I have actually interviewed him twice. And he also went down to uh, Venezuela to observe the elections that just happened there. And like, it was like, a, it was like painted a totally different picture than what we hear about. He's like, their election process is very intricate and hard to fuck with. He's like, they can't throw an election there. It's like, really? Yeah, it's really fun. He's like a big civil rights or human rights lawyer. Huh. But anyway, that's interesting. (laughs) Also, I don't drink Coke anymore because I couldn't. I was just like, it was killing innocent people (laughs) for trying to organize a union. It's like they're just fucking killing people. Yeah, straight up murder. Uh, so yeah let's get back to that yeah coke is you can makes your teeth rot and your stomach hurt but bananas on the other hand <laughs> if a couple people got to die so i can get my potassium post hangover right. so be it and supposedly <laughs> everyone i feel like for 10 years has been like you know bananas aren't going to exist in uh 50 years or whatever you hear that rumor have you heard I've, that? that's the first i've heard it i feel like I've been, have you heard that rumor that's right. my girlfriend we're talking to <laughs> I'm just talking to myself. (laughs) Uh, No, that's like, I feel like I've been hearing that for like five years. Be like, yeah, there's some like super strain of fucking bacteria that's going to wipe out all bananas in 10 years, bro. It's like, and I've like, I've heard this from so many people that it's like, well, it's got to be fact at this point. But I, to this day, I've not yet like actually gotten, I've, 
I've never gotten confirmation that that's a thing. But also, like, if if in our modern age of science we can't figure out how to protect bananas from <laughs> going extinct, <laughs> then I I have no faith in anything. Well, I know Monsanto is working on a way to grow pineapples in the desert. That's a true story. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, it's there are Monsanto's pure evil, but there is. <laughs> but not if they're going to grow pineapples in the desert. No, because what if you want like a fruity, a if you're like changer. stranded in the middle of nowhere, but you got a bottle of rum and then you come across some pineapples, you got a fucking party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> so when that, when, when that happens, we're all going to be thinking, uh, I mean, I feel like the odds of getting stranded with a bottle of rum <laughs> only happen in fiction. <laughs> I'm going to challenge you on because this. Because so rarely are you actually even traveling with rum. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, I w- I w- vodka? Yeah, see, I feel, <laughs> I feel like that's more reasonable. It's a good point. But I'm into that. Um, did you, uh, this is this is from a lot of, because I've been talking to a lot of different various artists and stuff, and what I find interesting is how many people didn't get much out of their formal training. Like, oh, yeah. No. You didn't get anything out of film no. school? I, you know, I went to, so I was going to Columbia in Chicago when I met all of, uh, all the comedians and, um, right away I knew this, is, I was like, this is useless, <laughs> totally useless because a, like I'm, uh, I've always been a dork and like a tech savvy guy. So like, you know, and the, the, the technology behind film was changing so rapidly at this point that like you were reading textbooks that were literally were just outdated, you know, and, and you could just go online and get better information than what these textbooks were like, you know, a school would invest so much money in a certain type of technology. And then three years down the road, it's completely obsolete because newer shit had come out. But for me, honestly, um, I, I, I made an effort to separate my education from my schooling. And for me, going to film school is more just a statement to myself of like, I'm going to try this for real. I'm going to try to make movies. And when I got into it, I was I was even thinking I was going to make documentaries, um, and I was making documentary stuff, and then and then I sort of fell into comedy, and in retrospect, that made a bunch of sense because I was like, oh right, I've always like comedy is just my defense mechanism; it's how everyone communicates and relates to each other. Um, but while I was in school, I didn't really give a shit about my my schoolwork. I was just I was out making shorts. I was out making shorts with those comedians, and just constantly making shit and cutting my teeth and just like working over and over and over again. And then like buying a camera and then like having that. And I really only used my school to learn a couple technical things. I treated it like a, 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 like a technical degree almost where it's like, I didn't take any directing classes, didn't really take screenwriting classes. I just went and learned the technical shit where I was like, I want to know everything about cameras. I want to learn everything I know about editing. And I want to learn everything I know about, uh, sound and just like all, all this really like geeky technical stuff because I just I knew that for the first couple years <clears throat> of my career in quotes um, I just knew I was going to be a lone wolf I wasn't going to have money I wasn't going to have crews if I was going to make shit it was going to be me so it was going to be me lighting this and me shooting this and me editing this and me you know holding a boom pole you know and like even when we were making those blurs videos like i don't know if you remember that time we were at bronger's place way back in the day but like that's how i would shoot those blurs videos i would just show up and i would be like a one-man wrecking crew just with cameras and lights and all that shit and just shoot it all myself and um and so yeah like never in my life has my degree ever mattered you know no one's ever asked me like oh you know where did you go or you know it's, it's never it hasn't brought anything to me 
And also, I don't, I just don't think it's possible for a film school to ever prepare you for the reality of fucking Hollywood. <laughs> you know, like it's such a nebulous, like people ask me all the time today, they're like, how'd you get from point A to point B? And it's like, I don't know. Like it, it just, it just, it's so nebulous and weird. And like you just, you know, like as a creative person, like every, everything that you've afforded yourself and that the people around us have afforded ourselves, I feel like are just things that, you you just like sniff out an opportunity in front of you and like, yeah, ideally there's foresight and ideally like you're planning and figuring stuff out, but like there's just no right path here. There's no like clear, your, your own path can only be your own, right? Like, and then comparing yourself to somebody else doesn't fucking matter because you're not that person, you know, like you are only your own path and there's just no way film school can prepare you for the like super bizarre, intricate nature of like what the fuck all this is. That sounds like a great point to end on. <laughs> uh, real quick, just any things that you want to plug? Kings of Summer, is there? Is that... Uh... Uh, Kings of Summer is currently still in theaters. It's in like 60 theaters somewhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can find out at thekingsofsummermovie.com or uh, go to YouTube and uh, look up our Red Band trailer. Um, You're on the Twitter as well? I'm on the Twitter, Vote Roberts, V-O-G-T-R-O-B-E-R-T-S. Uh the main thing I would say to anyone listening, if you actually have an interest in seeing this movie after the trailer, uh, we're probably not going to be in theaters much longer. And the most interesting thing that I've noticed in this process is I run across people all the time who um, say, oh, I really want to see your movie. And it's like, dude, we are not Man of Steel. Like, And this isn't even about my movie. This is about independent cinema in general. Like, If you want to see Francis Ha before Midnight or Dirty Wars or The East or any of the, or my movie... It's amazing to me that I'm learning that audiences generally don't have a uh, a sense that like they have power. Like you, whoever's listening to this, like if you support indie, indie cinema, like you taking two people to the theater with movies like mine or others, like that makes a difference. And that word of mouth matters, and like there is an urgency to it. And I've I've just come to like actually now going through the process of releasing an indie film. I'm just realizing that a lot of people don't realize that there is urgency to this problem and if they don't want transformers you know 500 or whatever <laughs> uh they need to actually be active about it because you vote with your money you know it's like that's what you're voting for and um so if if you if you listen to this and you see the trailer uh and you're like oh that seems cool i'd be into that like you you got to get a pump your ass <laughs> otherwise it's not going to be there because uh, would you say that g- going to on demand and watching something probably hurts it to a degree like uh, well, it's not on on demand yet. Like, you know, we're only theatrically. Um, but like, like Terrence Malick's new film, I was like, oh, this is on demand. And I'm like, you can't see this on TV. Right, exactly. That was like, I was thing. like, you, first of all, you can't watch, you shouldn't watch Malick on a television first right. time anyway. Yeah, I had the same thing where they released that new Malick movie and it was like VOD and theatrical same day. And I was like, oh, I should just watch this on TV. And then I just kicked myself. So I was like, you're going to watch a Malick movie on your fucking TV? What are you doing? You could do it on your cell phone. Right. And take a a bath. (laughs) Which is important. That's the only, I only bathe to to Malick movies. (laughs) What's your favorite uh, Malick bathing movie? (laughs) Uh, Probably Badlands. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I feel like Badlands is a good bathing movie. Yeah. It really changes you. Yeah. I feel like you don't want to watch the thin red line in the in the bath. No. New World, maybe. Yeah, well, that there's, you know, a lot of natives running around yeah, with nothing on. Exactly. <laughs> Thematically, it fits. Thematically. Uh, uh, 
Was there anything else to plug? No, no, no. That, this is great. Thank you so much. That was really fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations. Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. You can go on iTunes. You can write a review for me. Please do that. It helps me out. We want to help me, don't we? Uh, you can also donate to my show. You can go to the feralaudio.com uh, website there. On my page, you can donate some money. That helps us out a lot because um, i got to drive around. i gotta I got to do a lot of stuff. i got to do a lot of stuff. That costs money to put these shows up. And so does Dustin Marshall, the man who edits these things and all that stuff. He uh, is a great guy. So do that, please. Uh, and if you can't afford to donate money, just go through the uh, Amazon link. Buy some bullshit on Amazon. I get a little kickback. You get some nice shiny things, and I get a kickback. Um, also follow me on Twitter. Can't not underscore the wire. On the old Twitters. Find me on Facebook. I'm on there. Uh, and enjoy the other shows on feralaudio.com. Listen to Dawn T. Um, God, there's so many good shows on Feral Audio. I don't even know where to begin anymore. But, uh, browse around check them out and thank you for listening to my show i hope you enjoy
branch of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.